I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Thursday, June 22nd, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, Peak Pals, Canadian Swifties now have a big blank space on their calendars. Taylor Swift fans eagerly awaiting the release dates for the second leg of her Eras tour have been left feeling snubbed after learning a 38-show tour won't be stopping in Canada. Jay, are you a Taylor Swift fan? How are you feeling about this? I am related to a Taylor Swift fan, which makes me a little bit of a Taylor Swift fan. And I'm feeling bad about this. This was like possible dates. There were rumor mills flying. There was disappointment even when she they left Canada off her American tour, because sometimes sort of Canada fits on that tour. So it's disappointing. And maybe there'll be another leg of the international tour. I don't know. It's a bit confusing to me. You know, one theory was that Canada doesn't have big enough stadiums to fit all these people. And so they say, oh, well, Gillette Stadium in New England can do you know, 61,000. But the Rogers Center at full capacity for a concert can do 55,000. You know, BC Place in Vancouver can also do, you know, about that. And the Olympic Stadium in Montreal can do about that. So there are venues big enough to accommodate for it. I have no idea what's happening. Perhaps they just thought that enough people went to the U.S. to see these shows that they don't need to do it here. Who knows? I don't know. But I do know that a show that size can fit in Rogerson. I went to one last week. Yeah, you went to one. Yeah. S- similar stage setup, looking at the sort of footprint of the show, the number of people going. I don't know. It's curious. I don't know if I'll ever find out, but there are a lot of disappointed tweens and teens and even people under their 20s and 30s that are disappointed she's not coming. I know you're one of them, Brad. So cross-generational, Jay. I know she is uh, she cross-generational. Brad, aside from this massive disappointment, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, sub-search turns up empty. For our second story, the IMF has some advice for Canada. And for our last story, a sweet tooth in this economy. For our first story, with its air supply gone, the worst case scenario has likely been realized for the five people aboard the missing tightened submersible. But this is a wild story. What's the latest? It's not a submarine. It's a submersible. What's the latest? So to catch up on a tour of the Titanic's wreckage, the minivan-sized vessel lost contact with its support ship on Sunday while descending almost four kilometers to the bottom of the ocean. U.S.-based Ocean Gate started offering tourists the opportunity to dive to view the Titanic wreckage in 2021, selling tickets for the 2023 journey for upwards of $250,000 apiece. The internet was quick to pick apart the Titan for its short history and janky operating features like a PlayStation controller and interior finishings from Camping World. I don't want to laugh, but here's what we know. More vessels joined the search after banging sounds picked up by sonar sparked hope for rescuers. Canadian and U.S. Coast Guards have been leading the efforts to get them. After setting sail from St. John's, Newfoundland, the submersible is thought to be in a remote part of the North Atlantic, either floating around or stuck under sea level. The airtight vessel is reportedly sealed by at least 17 deadbolts, leaving the crew with no way out other than rescuers opening the hatch from the outside. And the crew includes the CEO of Ocean Gate, the trip's operator, a father-son duo from a wealthy Pakistani family, a British billionaire explorer, and a Titanic expert. It's a tragic example of the dangers involved with the growing extreme tourism industry, which is sending more people on riskier trips to the depths of the ocean and heights reaching space. It's not for me, Jim. Me either. For our second story, the UN's top financial body just finished up a trip to Canada and has some friendly advice on how to handle green investments. Shay, what are they recommending? Well, in a new report, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, gave Canada props for taking action against climate change, but cautioned that how it structured subsidies for green energy and EV batteries could stoke, and this is a quote, a race to the bottom for green investments. Now, the IMF felt that investment tax credits and other complementary measures risk distorting investment decisions so that they're made on the ability to offer subsidies. 
subsidies. I kind of think that's the point. But instead, it recommended more international cooperation and for Canada to consider crafting a standard incentive program instead of company-specific deals, which we've talked about a lot. And this matters because the U.S. set the pace with the Inflation Reduction Act, which could result in a corporate subsidy war where countries offer increasingly ludicrous sums to secure green energy investments. Sounds familiar. In fact, it might already be happening, with Canada luring Volkswagen to build its first North American EV battery plant here with a $13 billion, with a B, in subsidies. It also creates an environment where companies have far more leverage, as evidenced in Stellantis' move to abruptly stop building a battery plant unless it gets its money. Yes, but for Canada to take the IMF's advice, other friendly nations will have to play along as well, as is Canada's already losing homegrown green startups to the allure of U.S. subsidies. Now to zoom out, the IMF's report touched on other subjects from housing to banking, suggesting Canada do things like keep fiscal policy tight, have more stress tests for non-bank financial institutions, and set a concrete target for the country's debt as a percentage of GDP. For our third story, today in the not-so-sweet news department, the price of your favorite grocery impulse buy is on its way up. This is so sad. Yeah, so driving the news, Jay, cocoa prices have been steadily climbing as the demand for chocolate's main ingredient outstrips supply. Cocoa futures, the pricing mechanism used to determine what to pay cocoa farmers, are up 21% so far this year. And it's happening because cocoa production has fallen as the Ivory Coast and Ghana, which together account for about 60% of the world's production, after experiencing the driest soil conditions in over a decade and now fighting heavy rains that could delay harvests. The upcoming El Nino, a cyclical warming weather event in the tropical Pacific Ocean that could help set a record for the hottest year will only make things worse. Now, cocoa prices are the main factor for chocolate prices. With this surge expected to last into 2024, plus rising sugar costs, chocolate will get even pricier. And Brett, do you like chocolate? Well, chances are that you do, as Canada is the world's ninth largest chocolate consumer, which seems kind of high. Yeah, I'd be interested in who the top eight are above us. Canada consumes 6.4 kilograms of chocolate. That's about 160 chocolate bars annually per person, according to the Inter-American Institute for Cooperation on Agriculture. And the bottom line is Canadian demand for chocolate was on the rise last year, but could soon see a steep drop off as consumers looking for grocery savings balk at pricier Snicker bars, although I will not balk at pricier Snicker bars, Brad. I am all in. Yeah, you know, I have a high price tolerance for coffee, Chris. Let's just put it that way. Fair enough. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. Thank you, Brett, and have a good and sweet day, Peak Pals. Peak Pals.